Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and Ada Wong is our guest presenter. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we'll be talking about a study being undertaken by the Development Bureau on which types of trees are most suitable for planting at roadsides. It's part of a plan to strengthen tree management and will take into account experience overseas. The Secretary for Development, Bernadette Lynn, wrote in an online blog that the plan was to work out sustainability rules for roadside tree planting and ensure they had enough room to grow in the long run. In the past 10 years, government teams have planted about 5 million trees and more than 62 million shrubs, bushes and other plants. Ms Lynn disclosed that uh, 200,000 trees by pedestrian footpaths had been tagged with QR codes to provide citizens with basic information and an easier way to report any noticeable problems. After 9.45, we're going to be talking about the results of an annual supermarket price survey by the Consumer Council, which showed the biggest increase in food prices since 2013. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 and joining us now for our first topic, we have on the line Dr Alvin Tang, Academic Coordinator of the Tree Management Programme at the School of Continuing Education at Hong Kong Baptist University, and also Ken So, Chief Executive of the Conservancy Association. Um, good morning to you both. Perhaps uh, Dr Tang, uh, uh, we can come to you first. Hello, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, what types of trees uh, are most suitable for roadside planting here and, and what can we learn from uh, experiences uh, elsewhere? Um, I think the most uh, suitable tree would be the tree that could uh, plant it and, and grow very well for a long time uh, and uh, those uh, stressful conditions uh, along the roadside. So um, we would... Uh, sometimes uh, we would uh, recommend a, a few exotic species that, 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 that means that it come from other countries. Um, the other time we, we also want to introduce uh, some local species as well. But uh, those need to be suitable uh, to the local stressful environment, uh, roadside environment. That means uh, the right tree on the right place. Mm. Um, Ken So, uh, we, we all know that the pavements uh, in Hong Kong are quite narrow. Well, I think apart from the new towns, so I'm talking about like the older districts. Um, so it, it is, uh, you know, having the right tree uh, on these very uh, narrow pavements. But then, you know, there, there are also a lot of hurdles um, underneath, underneath the pavement. But because as a district councillor, I was told uh, that, um, you know, there, there are like so many things underground. Yeah. Like pipes and ducts and wiring and um, whatever. So, um, how you know? Do do you think that our pavements, um, you know, are really suitable for tree planting? I think Ada's observation is uh, totally correct. And uh, one thing maybe I I can help to clarify that that is um, from the blog of uh, uh, the uh, secretary of development. Uh, it is actually they are uh, going to have a consultancy to uh, study about existing trees, uh, mm. not uh, talking about uh, tree species selection for planting. It is talking about uh, uh, is the um, growing environment for uh, existing trees that is suitable 
for the uh, long term uh, or future development of those trees. And that is the, the consultant uh, study that I know they're preparing for. And uh, actually, that is what uh, Ada talking about that could cause uh, some of the uh, uh, earlier developed uh, parts in Hong Kong uh, quite uh, often that trees with a narrow uh, growing environment, particularly talking about roadside or those pavement area. So the study is trying to learn uh, more about what kind of um, environment that trees that need it. Uh, can those pavement or roadside environment be improved or in case the, um, the roadside environment cannot be improved and the tree seems not able to be sustained in the future, uh, what kind of uh, measures uh, that uh, the management need to do. That actually is the um, objective of this study, uh, to my understanding. So that may address Ada's uh, question after they conducted that kind of study. Because clearly the trees need enough space for their roots to grow properly because it's, yeah. it's, it's the roots that anchor them and, uh, and help them to you know, uh, stay upright uh, during typhoons and so on. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Um, uh, uh, particularly uh, talking about those trees uh, that planted before, uh, maybe uh, they would not uh, consider the mature size of the tree. So that uh, uh, the trees being planted, yes, of course, they are still small and even narrow uh, roadside environment, the trees can still survive. Uh, but when the tree is getting to the mature size, that's absolutely. Uh, some of the roadside environment is not suitable for the trees, uh, say, for the wood uh, development. So that, that's the, because uh, it's talking about underground situation. Mm. So uh, without good study, it's really hard to give comment about uh, which site that's suitable, which site is not suitable, particularly there are some, say, uh, underground utilities, as I uh, mentioned. Yeah, um, um, Alvin Tang. There've been a, yeah. a, a number of studies. Actually, I was uh, I was looking at uh, um, a fairly recent one. This is by the the Greening Landscape and Tree Management uh, section of the Development Bureau um, uh, on the types of roadside trees that we hear. What they call the, the roadside urban forest. Uh, it found that there's a relatively small range of uh, 20 common tree species uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, dominate the uh, tree species that we have. Um, it makes the point that uh, uh, homogenous planting uh, reduces plant diversity. It makes the urban forest uh, more vulnerable to outbreaks of pests and diseases. And um, do we need uh, do we need a greater variety, a, a greater diversity in uh, tree types along the roadsides? Yes. Yeah, um, in the past, uh, they have a problem of uh, those selection procedures and those selection pools. Uh, they only select a few trees that, um, that normally they use every day or, or use in their, uh, their, their departments, and etc. But nowadays, we have a special emphasis on the diversity, on the resilience of this environment and um, for those uh, restricted or stressful growing conditions, we might need to choose those uh, different species that uh, would provide more benefits as well as they would uh, be suitable to stay there long, as long as uh, we want to. So we have a new list of uh, selection criteria 
and new list of uh, selection species. Um, that will enhance uh, what we what do we expect uh, 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 in the next decades, etc. So uh, it it so that's why we come up with uh, the new guidelines and new uh, development procedures and. It's good to know that the Design Bureau has been proposing a number of improvement methods and a lot of different studies uh, oh. regarding this, uh, this, this point that uh, previously neglected. Mm. So um, previously we, we focused very much on the, the inherent uh, defects of the trees, but we have neglected the important fact that the, the trees growing inside our restricted growing conditions and planter conditions that uh, we we have seldom uh, uh, taken into very much detail. So um, now the Bureau has uh, proposed a number of measures uh, to improve this uh, point. Uh, what amazes me is, is uh, most is uh, in the past, the Bureau has issued nine editions of the, the Trivis uh, Assessment Guideline. Mm-hmm. Now um, it, it also comes with uh, the 10th edition very soon too. So, um, they have been actively review and evaluate the arrangement, um, uh, including the tree itself, and also now uh, they focus very much on the growing conditions, especially for roadside trees. So uh, I believe the turning point uh, was that uh, the, the tree collapsed uh, uh, on the pavement of Perth Street in the Cullen City, uh, as you, we could remember, yeah. um, where the tree crashed on the school bus uh, mm-hmm. in the early morning. Mm-hmm. So that was the triggering point and or turning point to um, to make the government make such improvement, uh, especially on the restricted planting conditions, uh, how we should enhance uh, this fact. So it, it's very good. Ooh. Yeah, uh, Evan Tang, it's, uh, it sounds like it's good news uh, uh, because we do want trees in our urban environment. But, um, you know, it, um, you are the expert. If you look at the different assessment guidelines, um, you know, one question comes to mind is that um, how do we compare with Singapore's um, uh, tree planting and tree management um, policies? Are we still a bit lagging behind? Because um, I think in Singapore, everybody will notice the, the trees that are planted well, you know, they have diverse species and so on and so forth. At least that's the, the view from the layman. Well, it's, um, uh, I mean, it's difficult to compare because we have different histories in the past and different uh, designs along the streets uh, in the past. But uh, I would uh, be uh, hoping that the government is uh, trying to make much improvement uh, in the new guidelines and, and new uh, planting uh, procedures and also the new design uh, below ground or and above ground. So as to, um, because every species will have different uh, situations and uh, different histories and parts, but uh, now they have to reveal uh, whether those existing trees is still uh, uh, safe enough or and the, and the future planting should, uh, should accommodate new procedures, etc. Um, Ken So, are there any particular like climactic considerations in Hong Kong which need to be taken into account for tree planting? I mean, we have uh, uh, obviously a lot of rain during the summer and then long dry periods uh, during the winter months. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think that actually can refer to your uh, earlier question. That is the diversity. Why the diversity is needed? That because we actually don't know what kind of uh, drought, uh, weather condition, uh, or even pests and disease will be uh, happened in the future. So uh, actually, there there are uh, several uh, examples. Say in uh, Australia, Melbourne because of monoculture of uh, single tree species and once it's a long drought period, uh, it actually killed quite a large number of trees. So uh, I think uh, for tree species selection, uh, enhancing the diversity is one of the key uh, criteria. And also, I think uh, talking about climate resilience uh, to our urban forests is really important. Uh, this concept has to be incorporated uh, during the tree species selection. And I, I think that would uh, help to uh, prevent those trees that get uh, severely damaged in case of uh, unpredictable um, weather situation. Right. Um, Ken, um, why is it important to select and to understand overseas samples and overseas species and to see whether they're suitable in Hong Kong? I guess, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't really have knowledge about biodiversity, but, um, you know, when, when you look at um, uh, different cities, they, you know, they have these locally grown uh, plants and trees and and it is actually also the um, well, the landscape and the uh, the yeah. visual impact of each city. So, if we are bringing in, you know, overseas samples, would that be a little bit weird? Uh, yes, I think for uh, urban greening, uh, both planting, uh, say, uh, imported uh, ornamental trees, uh, or planting uh, local native trees, are both. Uh, can be considered. But I think in, in the future, yes, I agree that because I'm, I'm also promoting planting of native tree for over 20 years. So I absolutely think that in case uh, some of the local trees, they uh, uh, with uh, very good aesthetic value as well as uh, they can uh, suitable for planting in different types of uh, urban environment, then we can that more about the uh, planting of native trees. And I know that uh, from the uh, review of the GLTMS, the Green Landscaping and Tree Management Session, uh, enhancing the planting of native tree is one of the suggestions. But uh, the, one of the key things have to be resolved, that is the source of the planting material because uh, actually the government tried to promote the planting of native tree for many years but one of the hurdles is that no one would uh, produce the seedlings or the planting material uh, of native trees or just a handful of native trees being produced or can be found from the market so that absolutely would be a hurdle yeah. if the government really want to uh, promote planting of native trees. Uh, I think production, good production of plant material is essential. Mm. Okay, well, we're also joined now by Sammy Au, who's a registered a consulting arborist and president of the China Arborist Association. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so just talking about what kind of trees are most suitable for roadside planting here in Hong Kong. I mean, um, obviously, uh, we see a lot of uh, banyan trees, for instance, around the place. So um, what other kinds of uh, trees uh, do you think we should be like uh, concentrating on more? 
Well, I think on roadside three, uh, the first consideration would be the traffic. I mean, mm. how obstructive would it be, you know, towards the traffic? Because uh, in Hong Kong, traffic is always heavy, uh, especially on the busy highways, etc. Then the traffic will create whirlwind and, uh, well, like uh, certain taller vehicles will will probably hit the branches or something, mm-hmm. you know, sometime, you know, to, uh, to, during the life of a tree. So you need to be careful on the selection. And uh, the tree has to be able to survive in a condition like this and will not cause an obstacle to the traffic movement, mm-hmm. is what I think. Okay, so so trees which um, uh, don't have uh, like low hanging, low lying branches, that would be an important consideration then. Well, the low lying branches can be pruned back actually, right. mm. but a tree with a good central leader, instead of a tree branching like the banyan trees, then this will be the the choice for mm. roadside. Mm. Uh, and do we have enough suitable native species? Uh, uh, um, uh, Ken So was saying just now that if we, if we want to make more use of native species, uh, we need um, you know, um, um, a better means of uh, reproducing them. Well, I'm not quite buying the idea of using all local native trees mm. to use on the roadside. Well, there are several reasons for this. First of all, the native species usually grow up on the hill, and they have a different growing uh, environment uh, when compared to the trees on the roadside. I mean, roadside trees, uh, number one, uh, they have a very limited planting space. And number two, the soil will be of poor quality usually because they're backfill. And then uh, uh, next to the planting ring, then it will be mostly concrete, which mm. is alkaline. So native species cannot take, really, you know, uh, a growing environment as such. And uh, another thing is um, most native species do not like hitting by the wind constantly, like uh, uh, by traffic movement. Uh, then number three consideration would be that if they, true, if they can survive, then uh, their fruits and everything will attract animals and insects and all kind of pests, you know, uh, towards them. So, would this be the kind of tree we, we, we would like to grow in an urban environment? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I see. So, um, Samuel, you are saying that local trees uh, have these uh, sort of not so good uh, aspects. Uh, but then what about the overseas samples? So are we trying to select those uh, that would not attract uh, insects, uh, those with a smaller trunk so that they don't need much space? But then, you know, what, are, what, what is the ultimate purpose of, uh, of roadside tree planting? Is it just to have some green uh, as something that's decorative? Or, I mean, does it, um, you know, affect our biodiversity, the urban biodiversity? Well, I mean, urban biodiversity may be something that Hong Kong cannot practice because uh, of our very high population density and uh, traffic movement in the city. Well, it may happen in certain new towns. Yeah, possibly. But I mean, I, 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 I've lived in Hong Kong for so many years and I've never seen any good example of a successful uh, urban biodiversity uh, to, to, to sustain 
Right, but if we don't choose uh, native trees, uh, does it limit our choice of trees that are suitable to be planted, um, you know, on our pavement? No, 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 not really. I mean, any trees on the same latitude as Hong Kong or similar latitude will uh, perform similarly. I mean, it, when, it, when we say latitude, it can be the northern latitude or the southern latitude. I mean, for example, we've imported a lot of Australian trees which uh, belong to a similar... I mean, Hong Kong lies something along the Tropic of Cancer, isn't it? Mm. And uh, trees growing around the Tropic of Cancer or trees growing around the Tropic of Capricorn mm. can also be used. Mm. I mean, there, there, there must be thousands of choices. It's just that the tree designers have never looked seriously into them and testing them. Mm. Right. Mm. Now, weather-wise, we are we you know we we are similar and or the same as our neighboring cities like Shenzhen, like Zhuhai, like Macau. Um, do you see any difference in the selection of trees? Because uh, I mean, when I used to go to Zhuhai quite a lot, I see a lot of native trees. Or is it because uh, their urban development is not as dense as us in Hong Kong? Well, it's a different urban design altogether. Because when they started their urban design, then they have a sheet of white paper to write to, to design upon. Whereas for us, we are patching up here, there, everywhere from the old urban uh, design. So it's, you can't quite compare the two places as such. And uh, for example, uh, in Zhuhai, they also use a lot of uh, banyan species. Then it's something Hong Kong has been trying to copy, but uh, with uh, major failures, of course, you know. Mm. The crown is just too big. Whereas in Zhuhai, you know, they keep trimming it to a, to a size acceptable to their traffic. I mean, Hong Kong would be difficult. I mean, for example, most of the OVT, the old and valuable trees in Nathan Row are abandoned trees. Mm. I mean, how often do, you, do we see them being trimmed? Rarely, isn't it? And are those trees not dangerous? Of course they are dangerous because of the uh, whole kind of structures and the So why, why are they not trimmed? Because the Development Bureau and I think LCSD, they have got uh, tree planting and management units? Well, I mean, I would prefer not to comment on anything of the government practices because they have this different idea to what uh, we, independent average, would like to think about. And, uh, well, trees in Hong Kong are mostly political anyway. I mean... Some, some certain trees are being felled for political reasons rather than for technical reasons. So it's quite difficult to comment on this. Mm. Oh, okay, uh, Alvin Tang, because uh, um, I know you have to uh, go at 9.30, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, obviously part of the policy is to protect uh, old and valuable trees. There is a, there's a register of old and valuable trees, isn't there, with about yeah. five, 500 uh, uh, urban trees on it. Um, um, anything that uh, we need to, uh, to, you know, rethink in the care of those, uh, you know, in view of what, uh, uh, in view of what Samuel was just saying? I mean, um, um, open variable trees, we have to uh, take a very close monitoring issues uh, that, uh, to understand the environment as well as the, the trees' tolerance to uh, the, the changing conditions like uh, now we are concerning with uh, the climate change issues. So um, those uh, practitioners or the tree management officers, they should be very clear uh, the change that's uh, happening in Hong Kong and the, and the 
trees are getting older and older. Um, they have to uh, uphold the standards. Uh, they also they have to reevaluate their uh, current practice of monitoring the trees. Sometimes when I see those uh, reports, uh, those uh, uh, form two uh, assessment reports, um, they might have overlooked because they have uh, to do the same practice over and over and over again uh, at the time of year. So. They sometimes they need to re- rethink and reevaluate uh, what their current procedures should be improved in in some ways, and to uh, understand the, the change of uh, the site condition and the, the tree itself. Well, and also we have the challenge of uh, emerging pests and disease. Mm. Uh, well, we have new pests and disease uh, that uh, that uh, we previously do not know, and and we have to understand those species and, and those uh, life cycle of insects, etc. So th- those things that they have to, uh, uh, perhaps they have to attend a lot of more seminars to update themselves uh, rather than uh, the, the practice the same uh, practice over and over again. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the programme this morning. That was uh, Dr. Alvin Tang, Academic Coordinator of Tree, the Tree Management Programme at the School of Continuing Education at the Baptist University. And thanks also to Ken So, Chief Executive of the Conservancy, sorry, Conservancy Association. Uh, uh, Sam Miao uh, is going to stay with us for a little while longer. We'll be joined uh, by another guest uh, shortly. Uh, after a short break for the news summary and a couple of government announcements, uh, a quick look at the weather. Uh, mainly cloudy today with sunny intervals and a few showers. Uh, the outlook, uh, uh, occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days. It's currently 27 degrees, humidity 77%. News summary with Todd Harding. Transport sector lawmaker Frankie Yick has called on the government to consider importing labour to plug manpower shortages in the shipping industry. He said the maritime trade was facing a 20% shortage of manpower in all kinds of skills, including engineers, sailors and equipment operators. The director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office will leave Hong Kong later today at the end of his six-day visit. On the last full day of his stay here, Xia Baolong met with representatives of various chambers of commerce and visited the Science Park, where he was impressed by a Hong Kong-designed robot. And the maiden launch of the most powerful rocket ever built has been postponed at the last moment due to what's been described as a pressurisation issue. The rocket, known as Starship, was developed by Elon Musk's SpaceX company and is reusable. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. The rates concession, which is capped at $1,000, has already been reflected. But there is no concession for government rent. Remember to pay by April 28th, or you'll have to pay a surcharge. The demand note also shows the rateable value after the general revaluation. Any objections must be submitted in writing by the end of May. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department's Inquiry Hotline on 2152-0111. Why have so many online accounts and passwords when you need only one with I Am Smart? You can access different online services using the I Am Smart platform, fill in forms automatically, and receive personalized notifications. Access the online services of public and private organizations with I Am Smart. For more details, visit IamSmart.gov.hk. I Am Smart, the safe and swift gateway to online services. You're listening to Backchat. 
Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Back Chat with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, in our main topic, we're talking about uh, roadside tree management with uh, a new study uh, going on, uh, being undertaken by the Development Bureau uh, on the issue and uh, and also looking at... uh, overseas uh, examples and practices. Uh, we're joined now on the line by Professor Ivan Valin, who's uh, Associate Professor of Practice and uh, Head of the Division of Landscape Architecture at uh, Hong Kong U. And also still with us is Sami Ao, who's a registered consulting arborist and President of the China Arborist Association. Um, Professor Valin, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks morning, for yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, what, what are the special conditions? Uh, we've been talking about a little bit about this uh, uh, before the break. Well, what are the special conditions in Hong Kong, do you think, that we need to take into account uh, when deciding which are the most suitable trees for roadside planting? Well, I think, you know, the, I think what everyone talks about is the right tree for the right place. Mm, it's sort yeah. of the, the thing that you always hear. Um, that's true. Uh, that's, you know, that's just good design, good proper proper street planning. I think the main consideration from the point of view of street tree health, street tree livelihood is really going to be that below ground condition, the soil. Um, and I think that's, I think there's been a number of studies for more than 20 years that have shown that, of course, Hong Kong's soil in the streets is pretty poor. Um, and finding ways to increase that amount of soil and, and you know, get better soil is really one of the number one determinants of, of how the trees are going to do in the street. Mm. Uh, why is that? Do we know why, why, why is the soil poor? Uh, we do know, uh, and I think the government knows. Most people know that, I mean, there's just too many obstructions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pipes, drainage, footings of buildings, structure, and then, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of room to, to put trees in. Um, so usually the common practice is to put a two meter by two meter pit. Basically it's like, just like a big house plant pot and that goes in the street. Um, I, things are getting better. I think the government understands and consultants understand that the more soil the better. But really, you know, I think still the standard is really too small and uh, and we need to look at ways of, you know, eliminating the pot altogether and having much more continuous soil under the streets. Mm. Is there a problem in some areas? Because obviously a lot of the, a lot of the city, a lot of the urban areas are built on reclaimed land. I mean, does that, right. uh, does that, does that affect uh, you know, the, the quality of the soil uh, uh, underneath, the, you know, underneath the sidewalks and uh, underneath the concrete? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, a lot of that soil is going to be, once the tree goes in, it's going to come with some of its own soil. And then oftentimes they'll backfill with planting soil. And, and if things are done right, that planting soil is of good quality. Um, but I've seen a lot of trees that have been uprooted from storms, and you look at the soil that's there, and it's just, you know, it's full of concrete debris. It's full of, you know, it's basically construction fill. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, if, as you said, the below-ground conditions are poor, the soil condition is poor, um, then, you know, we do note uh, that there are a lot of planters and pots along the street. And uh, right. so very um, 
uh, sort of tiny trees, I would, right. you know, I would describe them as, um, are being planted. Is is that the strategy? Um, you know, is that the right tree for the right place kind of strategy? Are you talking about, because you may be even referring to those tiny little things that you see sometimes on the on the guardrails next to the sidewalk. Yes, tiny yes, little correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, in my opinion, those are... Those are not the best strategy, but I mean, I think probably we should be thinking about a kind of ecology of, of the urban forest, and every piece is going to contribute in some way to that to that ecology. And it's not just about the street trees, but it's also about you know what's planted next to the street trees, what's you know in raised planters and planters at, at grade, um, you know, even planted on the building. It, all of those things together can can feed off each other and, and enhance each other in terms of creating habitat, creating uh, uh, feeding spots for invertebrates, et cetera. So I think, I think in some ways those small planters do help, but of course it's not replicating what a, what a street tree is doing. Mm-hmm. And of course the street trees are the big, the big part of an urban ecology of the street. It's the mm-hmm. most important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenso, uh, sorry, not Ken, sorry, not Kenso. Kenso was with us uh, before the break. Uh, uh, Sammy Ao, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, what are the other sort of uh, selection criteria that need to be taken into account? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking about the sort of life cycle of trees. I mean, the, the street that I work on. Um, uh, there's usually something happening. Uh, um, quite a few trees have been uh, removed uh, in the past year, and, and then, a, and then, a, you know, a, a sapling is planted in its place. I mean, do we have to take into account how long these trees last? Well, for most roadside trees, I mean, I've seen studies in uh, Los Angeles. Then uh, they would usually last for less than ten years. Mm. Yeah, that's the expected life. Uh, for most roadside trees. It's not very long, but, is it? Uh, yeah, not, mm. not very, but again, I mean, Los Angeles is at a different latitude to Hong Kong. Mm. I mean, it's more similar to Shanghai. So they're using different species and different planting conditions altogether. But uh, one thing we need to understand is that uh, tree roots do not grow deep under. Uh, it mostly grow to maybe 0.6 for most of the roots, and then anything under that will be mostly structural roots. And through roof or roots, you have the structural roots and the absorbing roots. And the absorbing roots are the ones sustaining the tree to, 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 to be alive. And those grow mostly on the top uh, 300mm of soil. So a tree root will mostly spread sideways instead of down under. So, I mean, how big a planter is practical, I mean, for, for the road, road designers to, 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 to allow, you know. I mean, you, you can't have a planter, something like five meters by five meters, isn't it? I mean, Hong Kong doesn't have enough space. So they have to strike a compromise uh, to, 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 to put in a planter acceptable to, to them, and then uh, hope the tree can survive. Or the alternative would be that uh, you keep changing a tree after, say, 10, 20 years or so. That, that would be the practical, a practical mm. strategy. I see. So but what, then the trees yeah. uh, would never be very mature. Now, I remember that there are a few very nice and very old trees around Victoria Park. Now, I'm just wondering, you know, um, those must be planted um, earlier, probably um, just right after the war. I, I really don't know. 
Uh, but they have been growing well, and um, they kind of, you know, they have sort of, um, they they really added to a Victoria Park as as a very green space. Well, when you're talking about park, it's not quite roadside tree, isn't it? Uh, it is right at the edge. It's right at the edge of the park, um, like sort of opposite Queen's College. Uh, I'm just wondering whether uh, we can still have these very big banyan trees as uh, as a tree planting strategy. Well, for roadside in Hong Kong, it's not so recommending mm. uh, because of the spreading of the crowd. Uh, maybe in a park, you can have one. I mean, some banyan trees in India, for example can spread as wide as five English acres, mm. just one tree. Yeah, mm. I mean, every area who's dropping down can become a trunk. So banyan tree is something too invasive and aggressive mm. for the Hong Kong environment, really. I mean, you can have it up in a park or somewhere and keep trimming it to become small. But on the roadside, and I doubt it, I truly doubt it. Well, you can keep trimming it, but the tree will suffer. And eventually, one day, it will collapse without telling you when. Mm. <laughs> That's the price to pay, uh, yeah, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Uh, Professor Valen, uh, would that be the way to go then? You plant a tree, um, you let it grow for 10 years, so when it gets too big, chop it down and replace it? I don't think so. I mean, mm. uh, you're correct that uh, that street tree lifespans are incredibly short, but I think, hopefully, as we look at other examples around the world, there are other solutions, uh, such as things like structural soils that will help allow tree roots to spread much further and avoid compaction that are just not used in Hong Kong that could help uh, street, health, street tree health. Essentially, it means redesigning the way we make sidewalks um, mm. and maybe even the way we make streets and some of the expectations of how much clutter we can have on the street alongside the trees. Mm. But. Uh, you know, I, I agree with it. With you know, banyan tree is not a great street tree uh, for Hong Kong or really for anywhere. But there are lots of great trees. Some that some that are quite big. I know exactly the trees you're referring to in, uh, along Victoria Park. Those yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. Um. You know, we um we we all love trees, uh, but um, uh, you know, in in recent years there have been a few accidents and where trees collapse. So you you work in Hong Kong, you I can see. You know there are lots of old trees around Hong Kong. You would you would you say that uh, the way we assess uh, street tree health um, is adequate? Or should we do more uh, alongside uh, a very progressive strategy of planting new trees and even importing uh, uh, species from overseas? Hmm. I, I think Hong Kong does a, a really good job in terms of monitoring its tree health. And there's probably more it could do. I'm sure there's advances in technology that allow you know, the entire maintenance record of a tree to be known you know, from a QR code scan. Um, and I think that's being done already. I think, I think the more that can be done on more trees, the better to avoid these kind of health and safety risks. But I think also there's an importance in, you know, from the nursery in, in you know, having good standards for tree structure and tree growth from even the early stage. A lot of times this can reduce risk as the trees get older, that there's no structural problems, that, that the, the trees have been pruned in the early years to create you know, a balanced structure and one that's going to last a long time. Mm. 
One phenomenon you see around uh, the city as well is, is, is the, the wall trees. Actually, uh, you know, uh, large trees uh, with uh, roots uh, spread over the, you know, the old bricks and grow, growing out of the wall. I mean, I mean, we, we talked about uh, poor soil quality uh, under the ground, but. Uh, um, I, I mean, how do those large trees uh, manage to uh, hold on? I mean, indeed, I can remember a few years ago um, there was one in Bonham Road near Hong Kong U which, mm. f which fell down, um, caused a bit of damage. L luckily, nobody was injured. But uh, um, w w what needs to be done about maintaining those? Uh, I mean, some of my other colleagues are, are better at the, the wall mm. trees. Mm -hmm. um, mm. I think uh, most of the wall trees that are... That are that are established are really have this in, incredible, and a lot of them are the, the banyan trees, right? Just to speak mm -hmm. about how invasive those, mm -hmm. some of those roots can be. Mm -hmm. They're reaching behind that wall and grabbing water and nutrients from a massive area behind the wall. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure that many studies have shown that the trees actually help stabilize the wall rather than you know, sort of become a uh -huh. danger of breaking it apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. but like any again you know the, the trees can be susceptible just like any street tree to to falling down mm, mm. especially some of those massive ones when they mm. get all the weight of water or on on mm. on, the, on those leaves I mean mm. so, tons uh, of water uh, yes um, Samiao is that your understanding the wall trees can uh, you know in certain examples actually hold the wall together no mm. I mean wall tree something we hardly understand. Mm. Very much, mm. really. I mean, how can a banyan seed drop onto a structure? Mm. And then it will grow without water and fertilization or pruning or any maintenance at all mm. to become a last tree. Mm. I mean, has there been any studies mm. on this? Mm. I don't think so. So there's still a bit yeah. of a mystery. <laughs> In fact, internationally, there's hardly any study on, ban on, on, on the ficus species, mm. which, which are where the banyan tree belong to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can search on Google or Google Scholar anywhere, hardly any research paper on them because uh, they are tropical trees. Mm -hmm. And most tree research are focusing on the temperate trees. Mm -hmm. So we need a lot more effort to understand how a seed can grow into a large tree without any regular maintenance at all. Mm -hmm. It is something that we lack in our mm. academic world, mm. I think. Okay, okay. well, obviously, uh, uh, further study uh, uh, required. Um, a very interesting subject, though. Thank you very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, Sammy Yao there, uh, uh, registered consulting arborist and president of the China Arborist Association, and Professor Ivan Valin, associate professor of practice and head of the Division of Landscape Architecture at uh, Hong Kong U. Um, stay with us because um, in just a moment we're going to be talking about an increase in the price of food in supermarkets. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Jaap van Zweden, music director of the Hong Kong Philharmonic and the New York Philharmonic. To the listeners who tuned into radio with the 95th anniversary of RTHK, the public broadcaster of Hong Kong, I wish you a happy birthday. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. And we're now joined on the line by Gilly Wong, the Chief Executive of the Consumer Council. Good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, we'd like to talk uh, for a little while about the uh, Consumer Council survey 
on uh, grocery prices in supermarkets, uh, um, which came out yesterday, uh, which found that uh, 2012 prices were up 2.1%, uh, and it was the, the biggest increase uh, since 2013. It's higher than inflation. And, uh, and particularly, tinned goods were up, uh, I think, about 30% in the first three months of the year, weren't they? What, um, what were your sort of main observations, main findings, and your main feelings from the survey? Sure. Um, for this uh, survey, it divides into two parts. One is based on our uh, the uh, aggregated sales amount and also the sales volume, and then we calculate the average price from uh, free supermarkets. Uh, this is our annual supermarket price survey to calculate uh, the overall uh, selling price. And then we select 260 uh, popular items uh, divided into 13 major categories and then uh, six, uh, 54 uh, uh, subgroups uh, to look at the price increase. And as you said, uh, the increase uh, for last year is uh, more substantial than before. It's increased by 2.1%. And one of the items that recorded uh, the highest increase uh, in terms of category, the staple food, uh, non-staple food seasoning, candied uh, goods, candied uh, food, and uh, the instant drinks, and also snacks, uh, and also some frozen food. Uh, all these, you know, record a higher increase uh, in the year. Uh, the highest is uh, the staple food. It records 5.4% uh, as a category in its overall uh, price increase. And if we look into the uh, 54 subgroups, the largest increase actually, uh, uh, there are 42 groups actually has an increase. And the largest increase belongs to butter, 15.4%, uh, tea bags, uh, cheese, and then the edible oils and also candied vegetables and fruits. Uh, it's from 8.7% all the way up to 15.4 for butter. So, uh, so when you go to the supermarkets and you can feel these kind of products have increased, you know, quite a bit of price last year. Uh, but in terms of jobs, uh, uh, for the categories, there are three categories record a slight drop. Uh, the biggest one is about the alcohol drinks, uh, uh, it dropped by 3.1%, followed by personal care items, 2%. And then for uh, uh, infants of food, um, uh, uh, infant formula, and also diapers, uh, that record a very minor drop of 0.1%. And in terms of subgroup, uh, the largest drop, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, belongs to uh, wine, 5.1%, followed by uh, shampoos, 43 and then um, the shower uh, products, uh, 4.2, and then eggs, 3.9. But I have to remind the fact that, you know, because of the avian flu in the last few months, the egg price has increased you know, quite substantially yeah. mm. uh, in the uh, past couple of months. Uh, but when we hope, you know, as the price gets stabilized, especially right now Hong Kong is more stable because of the supply from China, um, that is not as high as the overseas. But still, you know, we saw... Uh, a substantial increase, you know, in uh, the egg price, but now uh, it gets stabilized. So overall, you know, this is the feeling, uh, the, uh, the, the, from figure, what we see from uh, different goods. But if we look at, you know, the um, the, the feeling about uh, the price increase uh, based on our online supermarket price watch, which is an online search tool that record 2,600 different um, supermarket items, uh, we found that before the pandemic and after the pandemic right now, uh, comparing the first quarter in 2019 all the way to uh, the first quarter of 2023 uh, this year, um, overall, out from that 80 different uh, uh, products that we select, uh, it recorded 12% increase. And the highest increase belongs to those foodstuffs that uh, we have to stock up because of the pandemic. 
including all the candied goods, no matter vegetables, soup, fish or meat, and also frozen uh, dim sum, uh, instant noodles, edible oils, butter, uh, soft drinks, etc. All these products, you know, increase, you know, quite substantially in terms of uh, the price setting. So uh, I, I think, you know, that is a reflection about, you know, what happened during the pandemic when people try to stock up the demand oil in a certain jack-up and the supply is tight, uh, that would uh, cause this uh, problem. And we hope that, you know, uh, for this year, as everything gets stabilized, supplies, you know, gradually turning into normal, logistics turn into normal, and uh, people can go out to eat and buy uh, fresh producers to cook for a more balanced diet, then, you know, the, uh, the price for candid foods uh, can gradually, you know, reduce. Right. Um Gilly Wong, I remember that, you know, we, we stocked up on all these uh, tin food um, about two years ago. But um, since last year, you know, the pandemic has eased step by step. And then uh, uh, people, um, particularly in Hong Kong, have more choices and also going out to eat. But still, you know, when uh, prices have gone up, they seldom come down again. And is that is that your observation? Um, that, um, yeah? It depends on what items. Uh, because we observe for certain items, uh, they fluctuate more. Uh, but for candied vegetables and fruits, it, it, uh, the increase is uh, the most substantial. And uh, in the last few years, it increased by around 10 to 12 percent, you know, every year uh, in terms of the price setting. Uh, but for candied uh, uh, fish and also the candied meat, um, uh, for 2021-2022, uh, we record less of an increase in the price. So it is a huge reflection about um, uh, how people stock up and also the supply by itself. Because behind that, you know, what is the import price, what is the cost of the material, uh, raw materials, and also the cost of logistics, and also, of course, labor costs, and also the margin from the supermarket, doesn't a lot on uh, the overall price setting. So uh, we saw, you know, that fluctuation. And for edible oils, I want to highlight is last year we record a, a biggest increase. The reason being is um, it is highly affected by uh, the Ukraine-Russia war. That the sunflower, sunflower seed oil is uh, is a, um, the Ukraine is a major supplier in the world uh, to export this product. But unfortunately, last year there's no export at all, and because of the imbalance in the demand and supply, uh, we have to source alternative. Um, Complement to the fact that you know uh, olive oil also encountered pest damage in the last year. All these factors, you know, make edible oils uh, has record a quite a substantial increase in last year. It is uh, over 10% uh, yeah. last year, and all the products has increased in price. So if you go to the supermarket and buy edible oils, you will observe, you know, there, there's a, such a uh, major increase in price. But we hope, you know, uh, when the market gets stabilized, again, you know, it will turn back to normal. May not be back to the level before the pandemic because there are inflation factors, but overall, at least, you know, the increase, uh, will not be that high, and or even you know, we, it may be possibly a drop as well, as we record, as we saw in certain food items uh, uh, a few years before. Right. So um, even uh, after considering all the external factors that you've talked about, whether it's the war in Ukraine or, you know, eggs uh, from Japan and and all that, um, you know, still, you know, the increase is very big and it is the biggest hike in price of supermarket goods since 2013. And uh, the Consumer Council has called on supermarkets to um, strive to control prices of necessities. And um, 
How how could they do that?、Uh, well, you know, it's great that you have made the call, but、um, you know, supermarkets don't need to do anything, right? <laughs> Uh, uh, Hong Kong is、uh, is a free market. You know that、uh, all the traders you know can set their price、uh, freely. But、uh, we strongly believe the fact that you know we all、uh, feel the burden uh, of uh, the cost of living continue to increase. You no, know,、uh, apart from grocery products, uh, uh, transportation, electricity fee, you know continue to increase. So、uh, that will create extra pressure to the public、uh, for daily spending. So、uh, for the supermarket price, what we can observe is. Um, the market is getting more stabilised, so、uh, the import price, together with the logistics and labour costs as well, should be far more than normal than a fluctuating time. So that's why you know、uh, we really hope you know, and urge the supermarket to be really controlled about their price setting、uh, to、um, to support you know the public、uh, for the social responsibility that、um, uh, to help them you know to、uh, curb the pressure on、uh, the on the spending the expenditure.、Mm. Uh, We observe the fact that actually during the pandemic time, the price increase、uh, is quite substantial as compared with the normal time. So obviously the demand and supply、uh, is a big factor. And、uh, right now the market is back to normal. It should be able to、uh, manage the price, you know, much more properly、um, uh, in the coming years. You're, you're also advising、uh, consumers to be smart and、uh, and to shop around and to make use of your、uh, online price watch mechanism as well, Definitely. right? Definitely.、Mm-hmm. If you have the、uh, habit of going to the supermarket to shop、uh, to buy your daily necessities,、uh, if you have the pattern of or maybe the, the the habit of just going to one and then shop everything, we encourage you to have a change in this behaviour because if you make good use of the online price watch, which is、uh, income.、Uh, Uh, including over two thousand five hundred items、uh, on the search tool, that you can first search, you know, the, the item first, and then which one is the cheapest? You go to、uh, the place to buy、uh, for、uh, a simple basket of, say, you know, six hundred or maybe one thousand dollar. If you have this change in behavior, you can say it's probably ten percent, according to our previous、uh, survey. So. If you、uh, go to the supermarket four times a year and then times twelve months,、uh, in a year you can save several thousands or, or even more.、Uh, in a year, that can give you the money to buy an air conditioner already or even、uh, more durable goods. So、um, uh, small items, you know, really counts, and、uh, we really encourage people to shop around. Especially there are many small shops right now open that may be able to offer you an even better deal. So. Uh, keep shopping around. You know, it's a very simple but very practical advice that we offer to consumers. Yeah, Apart、sure. from urging the supermarket, you know, to be controlled and importers to be controlled about their processing. Sure. Okay. So th- there's an example. Uh, uh, shop uh, smartly and then save enough to get yourself a, a new、uh, air conditioner over the year.、Um, uh, thanks very much for、uh, talking to us、uh, about that very detailed survey.、Uh, that was um, um, Gilly Wong. Chief Executive、uh, of the Consumer Council, and in just a moment we'll be having a news summary,、uh, followed by a brunch with、uh, Karen Coe.、Uh, thanks to our listeners, and thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. See you next time.